Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 71st edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We'd like to start out by thanking our sponsor, SiteLock, the global leader in website security solutions. You can learn more at sitelock.com forward slash legal forward slash digital detectives. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, PI Now. If you need a private investigator you can trust, visit PINow.com to learn more. I'm John Simic, Vice President of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is the three hottest topics at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, encryption, NSA spying, and the lens case. We're delighted to welcome as today's guest, Cindy Cohen, who is the Executive Director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. From 2000 to 2015, she served as EFF's legal director as well as its general counsel. Ms. Cohen first became involved with EFF in 1993 when EFF asked her to serve as the outside lead attorney in Bernstein versus Department of Justice, the successful First Amendment challenge to the U.S. export restrictions on cryptography. Thanks for joining us today, Cindy. Thank you. Well, Cindy, some of our listeners will know a lot about the Electronic Frontier Foundation, but as we learned at lunch today with somebody who's pretty sophisticated, a lot of people don't know a lot about the EFF. Uh, Can you give us a brief overview of what it does? Sure. The EFF is um, 25 years old. We were founded in 1990 by Mitch Kapor, who founded Lotus. Old timers will remember Lotus Notes. Uh, A guy named John Perry Barlow and John Gilmore. And Steve Wozniak had a, a, a role early on as well. And the goal of the Electronic Frontier Foundation is to make sure that when you go online, your rights go with you. And so we have been involved since, you know, before the World Wide Web was uh, introduced in making sure that the Internet remains a place of free speech, of privacy, a place where innovation can uh, flourish and where people are essentially free to use the technology um, in ways that uh, helps make the world a better place. Cindy, can you also give our listeners an introduction to digital privacy issues kind of in general? Well, one of the things that has happened with the switch to a lot of digital technologies is that a lot more information about you and your activities online is generated and collected and increasingly used by both government entities and companies. Um, so, you know, it, when if you and I went out in a, to a cafe and had a conversation before the rise of digital technologies, not very many people would really know about that. You'd have to really follow us around. If you and I go out to a cafe now, well, we both have uh, beacons in our pockets called phones that are recording where we are that will notice that we're together. If we set up that meeting by sending an email back and forth, there'll be that digital trail. And um, then a whole lot of metadata surrounding that to, to basically give a pretty good picture of what we're doing, who we talk to, who we associate with, and, and ultimately kind of what we're thinking and believing and feeling. Digital technology is really awesome in that it lets us do a lot of these things a lot, you know, a lot more easily than we used to and gives us new powers, but it also really does mean that we're leaving a trail of digital breadcrumbs behind uh, that can be used. And so that 
you know, that can be used and frankly can be misused. So, you know, one of the things that we try to do is to make sure that all of these systems that we all use to enjoy to set up our lunches and, and, and communicate with our loved ones and our doctors and our banks um, really serve to protect us and are on our side rather than on the side of other people who, you know, may have uh, interest in selling us things, which is totally fine, but there are still some lines that they probably shouldn't cross. And increasingly, we worry about the government's access to all of this information and their ability to really limit or uh, dissuade us from engaging in associational activities or political activities and and thus kind of put our democracy at risk. So privacy, I think, you know, often gets talked about as if it's kind of some little niche thing that not very many people care about. But I think that when you step back a little bit and you think about the role that it serves in our society, it's a tremendously important one and indeed one I think that, that a lot of our other rights rest upon. You asked me about privacy, but I think the other side of privacy that that increasingly people are realizing is that the privacy tools that we use to protect ourselves are also many of them security tools, uh, tools that keep us safe online, the tools that uh, ensure that all the data that we have on our phones or in our banks doesn't leak out and get used against us by people who might want to engage in identity theft or in the business context, you know, steal trade secrets or, or gather confidential information. Obviously, right now with the the hacks into the Democratic National Congress, the hacks into the General Accounting Office, and and other things, we we see the increasing risk that the large amounts of data about us that are being gathered and held by third parties have for us and our ability to continue to operate in this society. So, you know, privacy and security end up being the two sides of the same coin, and EFS is deeply invested in protecting both of them. I think what a lot of people worry most about, they they know the old, trust me, I'm from the government line is is no good. Um, But of all the agencies they worry about, they worry the most about the NSA, which you've identified as one of your three hot topics. And what makes it one of the three hot topics for the EFF? Well, the NSA has engaged in really kind of dramatically tapping uh, our internet infrastructure. They have a goal and have largely implemented it of making sure that nobody can ever be sure that they're having a private conversation online or connecting with, uh, you know, a private association online. So because the scale that they are operating at is so huge and their goals are so obviously to try to stamp out the promise of privacy that technology can give us, not with bad intent. And I, I really don't, you know, I mean, obviously there are, you know, there, there may be good people, there may be bad people at the NSA at any particular time, but, but overall they have a, an admirable goal. And I do believe that most people who work at the NSA are trying hard to keep us safe. But we have to draw, as a society that wants to be self-governing, you know, we have to draw reasonable limits on their power, just like we draw reasonable limits on the power of the police, say, to detain people, um, or the power of the government to say, you know, what words you can say and what words you can't say. We need to have those same kinds of limits on the NSA's ability to have access to you know, basically all the information that flows over the digital networks. 
And so I think that they're a priority for EFF because the scale that they're operating on is so huge and so breathtaking and, and frankly so troubling for both Americans and people around the world. The more the more that people have learned about the extent of the NSA's activities, the more there have been calls to try to rein them in, calls that were successful last spring when we were able to rein in one of the NSA's programs, the telephone records programs, pretty significantly, not as far as I'd like to go, but pretty significantly. But I think our work is not done. I think we still need to bring that agency back into kind of respecting a reasonable balance between people's privacy, the needs of a functioning democracy, and their desire to try to keep us safe. Well, Cindy, the, over the last last year or so, there's been a lot of talk about, about encryption and, you know, the Apple versus FBI scenario and backdoors. And I know you spoke about it as well as in your keynote at ABA Tech Show last year. But to what extent is encryption really a solution to protecting our privacy? Well, I think encryption is one of the best tools we have to protect not only our privacy, but our security. And, and again, encryption is a great example of the kind of dual nature of privacy and security. Um, encryption is pretty straightforward uh, in concept. It's just, uh, it's, it's kind of the science of secret codes, um, the ability to speak and uh, to encode information in a way that only your intended recipient can actually read it. And there's very fancy math involved. There's factoring of prime numbers. There's all sorts of technical tricks and skill uh, required to deploy encryption uh, well. And that itself is an ongoing struggle because it's actually pretty difficult to securely encrypt um, lots of information. But when it's done correctly, it really does put you as the user back into control over who can read your messages and who can know who you're talking to. And, you know, we believe strongly at EFF that a free people is a people that has control over who gets to read what they write and, and who they talk to. But the fight over uh, whether people are going to have access to strong encryption is one of the earliest fights of the Internet. And, in fact, there was a, a pretty big battle in the 1990s um, that I was deeply involved in in a, in a case uh, called Bernstein versus Department of Justice where we were able to get the government's regulations on the export of encryption technology thrown out as unconstitutional and a violation of the First Amendment free speech part of the Constitution. Um, and we were able to do that because of a number of reasons, but I think most important of them is really standing up for the right for Americans to be able to protect their information in digital environments. And, and that protection you get is, is protection from uh, government snoops, but it's also protection from bad guys, uh, identity thieves and other people who, who you know, we, we really um, struggle with so much as a, as a society over the last years. Encryption gives us that double protection. It protects our privacy, but it also protects our security. Well, I know that we're always looking, uh, our radar is always up and, and sensing legislation which pops up, good and bad legislation, in terms of protecting privacy. So what's on your radar currently at the EFF for our legislation that's pending? 
Well, in the long run, back to the NSA spying, um, some of the major uh, powers that the government claims it's using uh, to do the mass spying that makes me so nervous, the, this tapping into the Internet, is uh, under something called FISA Amendments Act Section 702. And Section 702 is up for renewal in December of 2017. So long term, that's something you're going to be hearing about a lot from EFF and and a lot of our colleagues in the digital rights communities. And, and I think your listeners should kind of keep your ears up for that because uh, Section 702 being up for renewal is our really our, our next best chance to try to get major reform through the legislative process. Of course, EFF has lawsuits against the 702 surveillance as well, and we'll continue to pursue those. In the shorter term, we've got a small session of Congress coming up in the next month or so. There are several things that law enforcement is trying to get get crammed through in that short time period that we're going to be trying to defend against. One of them is a kind of a weedy thing that, that they call ECTOR, but uh, that basically is an attempt to let the government use subpoenas to get even more information about you from your service providers than they can already get. They can already get a lot of information about you from your service providers, but there are some limits, and this ECTOR fix is an attempt for them to try to get even more information from your ISPs about your activities with just a subpoena, which means there's no judge involved. On the good side, there's a bill called FASTER, which is an an effort to try to make sure that publicly funded research gets available to the public uh, much faster than it does now. It's a good bill. It doesn't go as far as we would like, but it's actually a really pretty big step forward in making sure that your tax dollars that are being used to fund research um, actually end up uh, with that research being available to the public so we can all benefit from it rather than being locked up in proprietary publications. Um, And that's a a bill, uh, open access bill that we have um, supported along with a lot of other people. Some of your listeners may be familiar with Aaron Schwartz, who was an open access activist who tragically passed away a couple years ago. This faster bill is one of the bills that we're supporting as part of supporting his legacy. And um, we think it has a shot at getting through Congress in this upcoming uh, moment. And we think if it does, that the president will sign it, which would be a really, really positive step to come out of what what I think most of us think was a pretty horrible tragedy. Well, Cindy, I know about these really cool and helpful tools that the EFF has, but could you describe for our listeners what like Privacy Badger and HTTPS Everywhere and Let's Encrypt yeah, sure. At EFF, we have three tools that we use to try to make positive change in the world. We we use law and we bring lawsuits and do things like that. Uh, we use activism uh, where we're we're educating people and and talking about these issues. But the third one is technology. Um, sometimes the right thing to do to try to make the world a better place is to just build a tool that people can use to do that, or at least that points the way. And we have three of them right now that are we're very very proud of. Um, the first one is called Privacy Badge. Um, This is really aimed at consumers who are nervous about the breadcrumbs that they leave behind uh, as they travel around the Internet, being gathered up by um, all sorts of companies, some scrupulous and some not, and being turned into profiles about them. Privacy Badger is a plug-in for Firefox and Chrome that blocks third-party cookies that are placed by websites you visit when you go around the Internet um, and gives you the power to say no to the tracking that 
that happens with them. It's really dead easy to use. Um, it's the kind of thing that I have uh, I have installed for very non-technical family members who who need help, and they can use it really easily. It's got you know green and red you know, sliders that you can use to try to allow a, a website that you want to collect information about you to collect it and slide it to red if you don't want them to. And companies have to abide by those rules because the plugin doesn't let them get the information if you've slid it to red. This is, we think, a really important and easy to use tool to give power back to you to decide what information about your online activities gets collected by the websites you visit. The second one's uh, HTTPS Everywhere is a security tool, also a plug-in for Firefox and Chrome, that you can use to stop one of the problems that people engage in online, which is you think you're going to your bank's website, but really you're going to a fake website uh, that is uh, collecting your data and maybe maliciously used against it. HTTPS is the secure version of HTTP, and it does extra checks to make sure that you're actually going to the website that you think you're going to. It's a really easy plug-in to use, um, and you can plug it in, and you can just rest a little more assured that you're not going to be misled uh, by a phishing attack or some other thing into going to a website that's different than the one that you uh, thought you were going to. And uh, and it, it, it helps ensure that HTTPS is used, um, that where it's available, it's used to protect you by the websites you visit. The third one is a little geekier, but um, in some ways the biggest and most important of all. It's called Let's Encrypt. The web works through uh, something called certificate authorities, which is a way that websites authenticate themselves to each other. And uh, again, it's one of the ways that your browser knows that you're going to the place you're actually, you know, ensures that you're actually going to the place that you thought you were going to. Um, Let's Encrypt uh, is a certificate authority that people who run and maintain web websites can use. It's free and it's dead easy to offer to the people who come to visit you significantly more security than they would otherwise have. And um, this is a, a tool that we put together with a consortium of other organizations, including Mozilla, and our techs built to try to increase the number of websites on the web that are offering uh, more security. And it's been a tremendous success in the first few months. We launched this in December. I believe we already have issued over 7 million certificates, um, wow. which is makes us, I think, the second or third largest certificate authority on the internet behind uh, GoDaddy and a couple of others. Um, and the extra special good news about this, because we're a nonprofit and we're not looking to build a business here, is that the vast, vast majority, I think well over 70% of the websites that have used uh, the Let's Encrypt certificate are new. They're websites that were not secure before but are secure now because we made it as easy as possible and as free for them to offer more security to their visitors. So um, it's really, you know, we have an overarching goal at EFF to try to encrypt the web and get as much of the web uh, as we can uh, available to you in an encrypted form so that it's secure and you can trust it. And on that scale, Let's Encrypt has really um, made a huge difference and, and we expect it only to grow. That's that's great. It is great. And, and, you know, John, as you know, we're putting together a legal technology tip session. I think we just got three good candidates right there. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to ask a follow-up question, though. Who, who determines what you name these things, Cindy? <laughs> yeah, well, how did we get to Privacy Badger? <laughs> 
those are the funnest meetings at EFF. Uh, we have a, we have a team we have a team at EFF that we call the Meme Team. Um, that is a cross organizational team. Actually, anybody can come, but it's uh, usually led by our activists and our artists. We have two staff artists at EFF, so Privacy Badger is not only a cool name. If you look at this stuff, we have really fun logos and stuff because we have very talented artists who work with us. And um, we uh, we just sat around and talked about it, and the Privacy Badger name came because uh, at the time we were thinking about it, lots of people were watching that Honey Badger yep. video. Right. That's um, what I wondered. We, I wondered yeah, about that. Yeah, we, we kind of <laughs> thought, well, you know, Privacy Badger – don't care if you don't respect <laughs> your uh, if you don't respect your customers' privacy. Privacy Badger don't care because Privacy Badger sir is giving them the right to decide what information you collect. Um, okay, John and, and I want to be called into we want to be called into the mean team for one the of these de- meetings. The next ones, let me tell you, they are so fun. Uh, literally, people people are crying with laughter most of the time in these meetings. They are they are one of the funnest things we get to do at EFF. You know, when you spend a lot of your time fighting the NSA and slogging through discovery responses and then, you know, you getting to spend an hour or two uh, brainstorming the name of our next tech project is really kind of candy for us. <laughs> That's great. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. At least 80 of the 100 biggest law firms in the country have been hacked since 2011. Protect your firm and your clients from cyber attacks with SiteLock. Their industry-leading cloud-based suite of website security solutions includes website scanning, web application firewall, including DDoS mitigation, and 24-7, 365 U.S.-based customer support. Give your firm and your clients peace of mind knowing their information is secure. Learn more at sitelock.com forward slash legal forward slash digital detectives. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is the three hottest topics at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, encryption, NSA spying, and the Lens case. Our guest is Cindy Cohen, who is the executive director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Cindy, a lot of people have heard of Tor, and and they think about it mostly in relation to the dark web and crime, but it really is a privacy tool for many folks. Can you explain just briefly what Tor is and how it works to preserve privacy? 
Yeah, absolutely. Tor, uh, I have just uh, proudly joined the board of directors of Tor um, because I think it's such an important tool, especially for dissidents and human rights activists around the world. What what Tor does is when you go to visit a website, ordinarily you have something called an internet protocol address or an IP address that gets recorded by that website that can be used to track back to you. So if you need to access information that you don't want to have tracked back to you, Tor is an, a really Really awesome and easy to use tool that hides basically where you're coming from. It's a kind of a complicated protocol where your request is bounced through a bunch of different computers and then the computer that the website that you're visiting doesn't know your actual computer that you're coming from. It knows one of those intermediary ones. And this has been used literally to save lives around the world. Chinese democracy activists who need to either access information or get information out of a very dangerous situation have been known to use Tor to try to do this. There's activists all all around the world who literally rely on this technology to save their lives because if their local law enforcement or local bad guys knew that they were the ones who were sneaking this information out of a dangerous situation, their lives would be at risk. And EFF has worked with activists uh, in Mexico, uh, in the Middle East, uh, in South America, in Central America, I mean, really all around the world uh, in Asia to try to make sure that these activists have these kinds of tools to protect themselves. It's also a good tool for you know ordinary people to use if you don't want to be tracked, if you're just not interested, if you've got a if you're a child or you have a child and you don't want your child to be tracked by the websites they visit and a and a profile being made to them. It's you know we we hear from moms actually quite a bit that they're not at all comfortable that so many of these commercial websites are developing profiles about their children uh, when their children go online. Um, that they'll use something like Tor to help keep their kids from becoming profiled by uh, web trackers. Well, Cindy, can you tell our, our listeners if there are any privacy resources that they can read up on? Sure. Um, on the kind of range of things that people who, who need, you know, kind of serious protection for their privacy, you know, the, the human rights activists and, and political activists that, that I talked about earlier, Tor, of course, is one of them. Um, there's a bunch of them. EFF has um, a set of materials called the Surveillance Self-Defense Manual available on our website that is a really useful tool for people to walk through kind of what their needs are for security and privacy and what tools are available for them that may assist them. And it's, it's really aimed at helping people kind of, there's something that, that security people call threat modeling, which is a term for basically figuring out what your needs are for security and privacy and making sure that you have the right tools because there's a range of things available. And security self-defense is a good way for people to begin to kind of try to access this information and make smart decisions for themselves. Uh, there's a group called Tactical Tech that does a similar kind of tool. There's other tools available, but ours and Tactical Tech are two that we think are, um, that, you know, we don't have any, we're not trying to sell anybody anything. Um, you know, we're nonpartisan and we call them as we see them. And so, so we don't have any secondary agenda. And, and again, our friends at Tactical Tech don't either. So there's a good place to look. Some of the privacy tools that we see people use a lot are and get tour for texting and phone security. There's one called Signal that's easy to use, easy to download, open source, and, and available. For conference calls, there's something called Jitsi, 
which is kind of a, a Skype-like thing, but also, again, provides much more privacy and, and privacy protection than um, some of the commercial products that are available out there. There are others as well, and again, they're referenced in SSD, but for lawyers especially, something like Signal, something like Jitsi, and uh, something like uh, PGP or GPG. Uh, PGP is the commercial version. GPG is the non-commercial is the is the non-commercial version. Uh, for email security, is a nice little suite of tools that can help people. And then for chat, there's something called uh, for Mac. It's called Adium. And for uh, Windows, it's called Pigeon, which is also kind of a nice chat app that is secure. So there's a there's a range of things that are available for lawyers when you're talking to your clients, especially if they're sharing sensitive things. These tools are available, and they're increasingly easy to use. And um, it used to be something that I didn't lightly recommend to kind of lawyers who weren't tech lawyers to try to use. Now, I think that this, these kind of tools are, if it's important enough to your clients to really, you know, to need real security, those tools are available and and much easier to use than they used to be. Well, let's take us to the Lentz case, which I suspect many people have never heard of and have no understanding of its implications. Tell us a little about that, please. Sure. Uh, The Lentz case is, uh, we represent Stephanie Lentz, who is a mom who took a video of her kid dancing in the kitchen to the Prince song, Let's Go Crazy, and posted it on YouTube so that her family could see her adorable toddler. And (laughs) it was taken down uh, by Universal Music on a claim that it violated copyright law. And we took on Stephanie's case because we think it shouldn't violate copyright law to publish a 20-second video of your kid dancing in the kitchen, no matter what's playing in the background. And this case has gone on for several years now, and we're actually at the U.S. Supreme Court this month asking the court to take a look at the case, because Universal Music is taking the position that it can take down anybody's video anytime it wants, and it doesn't have to do anything more than the most cursory review to see whether your video uses any of what they call their music. We think that Universal and other rights holders have to do a real analysis of whether what you're doing is infringing or whether it's a fair use or not. And that if they don't do that and they take your speech down, they should be held responsible for that. And that's the center of the fight. Um, The Ninth Circuit agreed with us that Universal had to do a copyright analysis, but they made the standard for Universal to meet in doing that analysis very, very low. And we're asking the Supreme Court to take a look at it and make them have to do a very, a much more robust uh, analysis. Not so much that it will harm them, but but a real one and to have the remedies kick in if they don't. Uh, Universal um, is arguing that Mrs. Lenz, that nobody could ever be hurt by having their uh, speech taken down off the internet. And so there's never any harm from what they do, which I think is clearly wrong and should be very, very troubling for anybody who believes in free speech. Hmm. Well, Cindy, we're going to close on up here, but this is your moment for your closing thoughts. But in addition to your closing thoughts, can you tell our listeners about how they can get involved and support the work of EFF? Sure. Uh, EFF is a member-supported organization. 
Um, so if people think what we're doing is important and right, they have an opportunity to join uh, with the 27,000 other people who uh, help ensure that EFS stays strong and robust. Um, so you can join EFS. You can be a member. We have awesome hats and stickers and all sorts of cool stuff. <laughs> uh, we have very cool swag. Um, but, you know, in addition to the cool swag, you get to feel like you're part of making the Internet and the digital world better. Um, and I think that is something that we need people to do. We stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of people who understand how important having a free and open Internet and digital technologies are. And that's how people can get involved. Uh, if for the lawyers, we have a list of cooperating attorneys. Uh, we get lots and lots of requests for help at EFF, and we help as many as we can. But for many people, we try to get them into the hands of competent counsel so that somebody else can help them. And so lawyers who are interested in getting involved, there's a special opportunity to be one of our referral lawyers um, at EFF. And, and uh, if you just email info at EFF.org, you can get connected to that legal referral network. Well, I'm a big advocate of party hats, so I will go right on the site and check that out. <laughs> Cindy, thank you again for joining us today. Marvelous always. You gave a bravura performance uh, at ABA Tech Show. I know everybody enjoyed listening to what you had to say, and today uh, more of the same. So thanks for illuminating all of these issues for us and for taking the time out of your day to, to spend some time chatting with John and, and myself. Oh, thank you so much for uh, continuing this conversation. I love talking with you guys because you're, you know, you're smart. You guys know what's going on, and I think you have a great audience. Thanks. Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review us on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and security services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.